God's promises are the same yesterday, today, and forever, and we can hold fast to His truths and His word um, no matter what we're going through, and we can be unstoppable through Jesus. Welcome to the Jesus Calling Podcast. Today's guests both believe that by being open to others with their experiences, whether triumphant or tragic, God can use them to have a mighty impact. Professional surfer and author Bethany Hamilton and switchfoot frontman John Foreman. First up, Bethany Hamilton grew up in the Hawaiian Islands, spending her days on a surfboard before she could even walk. A surfing prodigy at just 13 years old, Bethany's future in the sport looked promising. But in one tragic incident, her life was changed by a shark attack that resulted in the loss of her left arm. With faith and courage, she refused to be a victim, and her story of survival and her return to competitive surfing has inspired millions. Today, Bethany tells us how her faith carried her through her darkest days and about her reluctance to share her story until a sudden realization changed her mind. Hey everyone, it's Bethany here. Uh, I'm born and raised in Hawaii and I've grown up to be a surfer and now I'm a surfer and so much more. I'm a wife, a mom, an author, a motivational speaker. Growing up, um, my whole family surfed, and mom and dad and two older brothers. I definitely was hooked at a young age. Um, They had me on a board before I could walk. I started competing at like age five um, in Hawaii. They have surf contests for kids, and it's called the Keiki Division, which Keiki is kid in Hawaiian. And um, what that division is, is one parent pushes you in and the other parent catches you on the shore. So it's just the ultimate fun event, like not really competitive. You're just out there having fun with other kids and your mom and dad pushing you in and catching you and getting you back out there. But I think around seven or eight was when I really started asking all the time, like, take me surfing, take me surfing. And I think around the same time, I, you know, seeing the older professional surfers in my local community, I was like, wow, I want to surf for a living. And so I started to set my hopes on being the best surfer I could be in women's surfing. My mom and dad became Christian um, in the 70s after they got married. I like to say they kind of shared their two biggest passions with us, their faith in God and surfing. And that's what we kind of surrounded our life around. Um, So at a young age, I became a Christian. And I feel really, really thankful for how my mom, like, And dad both encouraged me in my faith. And especially my mom. She would always um, read the Bible with me and pray with me a lot growing up. And I can remember um, before I lost my arm to the shark, uh, my mom and I had been praying over my surfing, actually. We were like, Lord, as much as we love surfing, please let our life be more than just about surf and let it honor and glorify you. And it was kind of a very specific prayer that we'd been praying. It really gave me the mindset of like, life's not all about surfing, which as a kid, you can get very enamored with just the ocean and, you know, what it, having fun and just playing, you know? So, but it was a good reminder that like, hey, let's pray and ask God to make life more than just having fun. Bethany's talent for surfing soared as she grew older. One morning in 2003, 13-year-old Bethany went surfing with her best friend and her family. As she was laying on her surfboard, a shark attacked her. Through the grace of God, Bethany survived the attack but lost her left arm. 
when I lost my arm, I was like, okay, God, what are you up to? I think because I had a relationship and with God and because I had a young faith, it was like, okay, well, God's in control. It's going to be okay. And you have a plan for my life. So let's just keep on moving forward. I think I was just kind of in the moment thinking like just praying and asking God to get me through it. But I don't know if I was really thinking I'm going to die or I'm going to live. It was just more of like survival mode. <laughs> but um, yeah, I'm thankful that I made it through that day. And um, I definitely like the week following, I had a unique sense of peace. I feel like you could be in that same situation and be very frantic and like distraught and like life's over, depressed, really just down. But I definitely had the peace of God in my life and um, I just knew that something good was going to come out of it. And I may not have been able to speak those words at that time, but I think that was kind of like the sense of feeling that I had. And I just trusted that God was getting us through this. And I mean, the fact that I lived too, I remember my mom's first words was like, I'm so thankful you're alive. Just be thankful that you're alive because you could be gone now. And so I think that's kind of like was a good starting point of our mindset. I definitely did not let fear control my life. I think of like when I first started to relearn how to surf, I was a very determined, optimistic young woman. After I stood up on my first wave, there was like no looking back. Like I'm doing this with one arm and nobody is going to stop me. I don't care what they think or say because this is what I'm going to do. <laughs> Growing up in Hawaii, I lived in like a really small town where everyone knows everyone. And then all of a sudden, I'm like, world news. Yeah, it was daunting. I didn't really appreciate having a lot of attention on me. And um, once I started doing interviews, at the age of 13, all I want to do is being with my friends, playing and being outside, doing what normal kids do but rather I was getting on an airplane to go do a bunch of interviews and talk about a bad day over and over again. So it was kind of awful at first, and it took a long time for me to like adjust to that and adjust to the attention. But once I started to see um, the encouragement and inspiration that was being put on other people's lives by telling my story, I realize, okay, God, this is what you're up to. You want to share your story more than you want to share mine. I have a big passion for encouraging other people. So I started doing motivational speaking, which I, I love doing that now. Yeah, I like being able to share my story and I see the value of like, that's how we as humans can relate to each other is by sharing in our hard times. But I mean, also our good times, but really sharing in our hard times and like encouraging each other through the challenges of this world. <laughs> now being a mom of two, my husband and I, obviously, like we read books to our kids a lot and you find your books that you love and find books that you don't love as much. <laughs> so we were like, hey, let's write a fun like kid surfing book. Unstoppable Me was the uh, first book that we um, decided on writing, and it kind of had the theme of just, yeah, being unstoppable and, like, 
just a good message for the kiddos and something that we'd be stoked to read to our own kids. So actually, my husband did the majority of the writing for that and decided to do Be Unstoppable too, which to me, it's kind of more of like a coffee table book, like you can throw it on your coffee table and open up a random page and hopefully get a hint of inspiration for your day or life. It just follows us through the making of our documentary. And that's called Unstoppable Bethany Hamilton. And it's a documentary kind of capturing my life story. Bethany started a nonprofit organization called Friends of Bethany, which aims to spread the love and hope of Jesus by helping shark attack survivors and people with limb differences. She goes on to describe one of her favorite events the foundation hosts, an annual retreat for women with limb differences. What we originally started the foundation to do was to re- reach out to shark attack survivors and their families and like kind of encourage them in that time and uh, and also just people with um, losing limbs, which is way more common than we know. It's like an everyday thing. It's a tight-knit, um, small retreat of like just 20 or, so, 20 or so girls who all have limb differences and just a time of encouraging them through their journey and um, uplifting them in their faith. And obviously not all the girls are Christians, but we hope to like share the faith of God, our faith of God with them. And um, it's seriously the most amazing weekend. We take all the girls surfing and we have a lot of like sit down times of talking and just make a really open environment. And for a lot of these girls, like they never even hardly talk to other amputees. And so they're all of a sudden surrounded by all these women who have faced similar circumstances to them and are able to just open up and talk about life's challenges and talk about how we overcome. It's literally the most awesome weekend. There's definitely things that I feel so thankful for and how my parents raised me and just keeping things really simple. They didn't have a lot of money and so they made life work in such a great way and like just kept things simple. We spent a lot of time at the beach and um, they encouraged me in my faith. Honestly, that's what I want to do with my kids. Spend a lot of time at the beach and encourage them in their faith in God and just guide them along the best I can. Motherhood has definitely been such a beautiful journey so far. And you can definitely get the sense of like God's love for us and how you just love your kids so much that you would do anything for them as far as dying for them. That like helps you probably probably only touch the surface of like how much God loves us. His son dying on the cross for our sins and that bringing us forgiveness, him overcoming sin and death for our forgiveness and giving us life. Now I feel like our culture is such like a rat race and everybody's so go, go, go. I mean, definitely we're in a busy time in our life, but I'm hoping at some point we'll just have a little less go, go, go and kind of keep it a little more simple. I've had a lot of different challenges in my life, but um, I'm thankful that the most important part of my life is being a Christian and relying on Christ for my strength and my faith. I look back and think like, I really believe that God gave me the passion that I have for the ocean for a reason, and the rest is kind of history. To learn more about Bethany and her latest book, Be Unstoppable, The Art of Never Giving Up, please visit BethanyHamilton.org. 
Stay tuned for our chat with Switchfoot frontman John Foreman after a brief message about a beautiful new edition of Jesus Calling. Are you looking to introduce a friend or a loved one to the peace that can be found by spending time with God daily? There's a beautiful new edition of Jesus Calling that makes a gorgeous gift for someone who might be seeking a new perspective for a new year. It's the same Jesus Calling daily devotional that has inspired over 25 million readers, now updated with a lovely fabric cover and eye-catching foil with feminine floral touches. This elegant new version also features large text and written-out scripture verses with each passage. For more information about this stunning new edition of Jesus Calling, visit jesuscalling.com botanical. That's jesuscalling.com botanical. Now, let's get back to the second half of our program. Our next guest is Grammy-winning recording artist John Foreman. For more than 20 years, John has been the lead singer of the alternative band Switchfoot, inspiring legions of fans across the world with guitar riffs and contemplative lyrics in songs like Dare You to Move and Meant to Live. John tells us about the band's earliest days and the story behind their breakout moment when their music was featured in the movie A Walk to Remember. He shares about the band's new album, Native Tongue, and why they blur the lines between secular and sacred as they try to reach a broader audience with Christ's love and life-giving purpose. My name is John Foreman, and I write songs. I'm in a band called Switchfoot, and proud and honored to be in a band with those guys for for 20 years. I have three goals. The first goal is to be a, a good husband. The second is to be a good father. Seeing my, my kids, that uh, seeing them shine, that's probably where, you know, that's worth way more than any Grammy or anything we've won, you know. And then the third is to reflect and receive the light and love of my maker. Music has always been a part of my life. And for me and my family, there was always music around, you know, from Keith Green to Aretha Franklin to the Beatles. And then I got into Zeppelin and my dad played, you know, played more of the rock and roll tunes, the doors and everything like that coming from California. And then my mom loved Bach. And so somewhere in between, we grew up with all of that. And there was always a guitar lying around. The piano was fair game always, pots and pans. And so I don't think there was ever a time where I wasn't immersed in music as a kid. You know, when you're in junior high, there's all sorts of things that are happening where you you are, <laughs> you can dream anything up, right? And so my friend was in a Led Zeppelin cover band, which I think they had like one or two songs that they had learned and they needed a guitar player and a bass player. And so me and my brother jumped in. And so I played the guitar. My brother played the bass. That was our childhood that um, we played a pool party and that was the only gig we ever played as a band. <laughs> I remember we were, we called ourselves uh, Joker's wild. And I remember we, we got through the set and it was awful because my friend had borrowed a huge white warlock guitar and changed the strings on it. And none of us really knew how to change strings at the time and didn't know you had to stretch them out. And 
So the entire set was horribly out of tune. And I think it was like two or three, four songs maybe. And then the older kids at the party who were actually pretty good at guitar jumped in and, and showed us how it was done. So that was our first show ever. Kierkegaard was right about many things, including his delineation between the church and Christendom. He articulates the idea that, yes, the church is the church, but um, the trappings and trimmings of what we call Christian aren't necessarily the body of Christ. And the vernacular we use, the what we call Christian art, the buildings, the um, all of the, the particular laws and, and rules and unspoken regulations that we all abide by aren't a part of, of who Christ is and, and often are less gracious than, than they could be, to, you, to, to put it kindly. And you travel around the world and you realize, wow, so there's a million different ways to embrace the sacrificial love of Christ. So growing up in the church as a church kid, my dad's a pastor, um, I had a very interesting upbringing where my dad um, didn't didn't delineate that schism for me of between sacred and secular, and that was spelled out in a million ways. But he he taught me stairway to heaven. He embraced what I was into. He went surfing with me. There was not something that was oh this is our Christian time and this is this is our mainstream time. Um, because I think the moment you live that out, you're living out a, a dualistic life. You're living out um, this this identity that cannot actually exist. Um, because all of us only have one soul and one mind, one body, one life to live. So to be trying to live two different people, that's going to break. Something's, something's going to shatter along the way. I went to UCSD because it's a great school. All of my friends were atheists and agnostic, and and I was like the token Christian kid that they knew. And I feel like that was a beautiful thing, because suddenly you are the sole representative of Christ. And then there's this, there's this beautiful pressure to actually live out what you believe. Whereas I think at in the Christian bubble, many of us... Um, don't have that pressure. We don't feel the pressure to actually do what we believe and, and we we run from it in a strange way. There is no we, they. It's I am you, you are me, and we are all in need of a beautiful self-sacrificial love that we've been offered through our maker. And that's who I'm singing for. John and Tim, along with their friend Chad Butler, eventually began a band they called Switchfoot in 1996. The group started building a following, and in 2002 they shot to mainstream fame when their music was selected for the film adaptation of Nicholas Sparks' novel, A Walk to Remember, starring Mandy Moore, thanks to a friend from high school who worked for the music producer for the movie. She said, I have these friends from high school that they have this song that you would love. You have to hear it. It's perfect for the movie and played him only hope and that was the first time she'd ever played him any songs and um it happened to be ours and it was a random thing because i hadn't talked to this friend of mine in years and um we were the last thing from hollywood you know i mean san diego is fairly close it's two hours away but 
it couldn't be more polar opposite, you know, the, the culture. And so it was really enjoyable to go up there and find this group of people that were genuinely soulful people in, in a place like Hollywood, you know? And, and I think that was, that was a first shock for me was, Oh my gosh, there are humans up here that, that are truly good humans that really, you know, are wonderful people that love good music and, and are willing to have incredible spirit, spiritual conversations. Um, and I, that was my preconception, my prejudice of just kind of being anti Hollywood, anti LA and, um, kind of having to first and foremost kind of um, be humbled and say, wow, okay, so there's good everywhere and potentially the maker has a bigger plan than than what I, I dream up. I walked the red carpet for Walk to Remember. I'll never forget walking with Tim and Chad and everyone saying, who are you? John is a prolific artist who has been writing songs for more than 20 years. He reveals secrets to his songwriting success and why the creative process for Switchfoot's latest album, Native Tongue, is different from any other they've ever done. I feel like there's a certain tension that has to exist in in all, all of our lives. Um, the guitar string only makes music while it's stretched tight, you know, and so I think we as humans are best when we are in uncomfortable spots, when we're stretched a little tight. And for me as an, as an artist first, as a songwriter, I find that I, I am continually looking for those places where I'm stretched, where I'm uncomfortable. That's what actually, for me, the songs are born from the things that I don't understand. And they're born from uncomfortable places. This kid asked me, um, how do you write a song? That feels like what we do. You start with this subject that you don't understand and you try and turn the light on. There's so much more to learn and I'm a perpetual learner and and that's that's until the day I die. That's what I want to be. So this album is an interesting one because it's born from a period of rest, um, which is unlike any record we've ever made. We took a hiatus at the beginning of the year um just saying you know we'll honor the obligations we've already committed to but other than that we're not going to book any shows and we're just going to take a breather and then i started having these songs just come to me and sneaking into the studio late at night going back in and and just recording them for fun you know and then it my i noticed my brother was sneaking into the studio too and so we started just having fun and, and pursuing joy. So the whole time we were making this record, we'd say, it's not a record. It's not an album. We're just having fun. You know, what I want to th- people to take away from this album, first of all, I want it to bring them joy. I want it to open the doors and the windows of the soul to a story larger than themselves. I want it to remind them that deep below their fears and their, their subsequent hatred, of whatever they're afraid of, that beneath all of that, a humanity um, runs as a river among all of us, and that 
love himself has spoken us into being. And out of that, love is our native tongue. That fear and hatred are not our native tongue. I would love to see a church rise up and begin to speak compassionately, not only to the the aching watching world, but to ourselves and each other. Probably one of the more wilder stories that I've ever experienced was this one this one time I was playing a show um, in Florida and. I was playing, it was a solo show, which means I don't have a set list and people pass up pieces of paper onto the front of the stage and I just kind of sift through them during the show and and it's kind of a choose your own adventure where the, the people in the audience make the set list, you know. And in the middle of the show, this paper airplane comes and I catch it right out of, it's headed right for my guitar, I catch it and open it up and it says, can you please play um, Inheritance, I think it was. And it, it was the song that we used for our wedding. And so I, I look at the people who threw the paper airplane. I'm like, of course, we have to play that next. And I go to start playing it. And um, I, I'm as I'm starting, I'm, I'm thinking, I don't think this is the right key. And... I hear this voice from the audience say, John, it's NG. And, and I'm, and I'm, you know, you can't see anything into the dark. And I say, who is that? And they, this voice says, it's Josh. And I said, Josh, do you know this song? And he says, yes. And all of a sudden he starts to rise out of the audience. It's like he like floated up to the stage. I don't know if he crowd surfed or what, but he was like, it was like an apparition. Suddenly he's standing next to me and he's this kid that I'm like, okay, yes, Josh, would you mind playing the song for me? I mean, you're here. And I thought he was just going to play the, the guitar part and I would sing. And and then he, he grabs a mic and starts singing. And I'm like, this is amazing, you know? And I'm just sitting off to the side of the stage watching this whole thing unfold. And he's getting the crowd into it and he's just owning the moment I'm just so impressed with this kid and so I had him up I'm like well you can't leave the stage now you have to I had a second guitar so I just had him um, play with me the whole night and was talking with him backstage we ended up FaceTiming his his relatives and they were back in Central America and he had learned how to speak English with um, switchfoot songs and he knew Obviously, he knew all our songs better than I did, and um, but those are the moments where you realize um, how little I did and how much was, uh, you know, had had fingerprints much bigger than mine on that kind of story. I've been so humbled to hear thousands of these stories, and the humbling element is that. You, you realize after you hear a few of them that you have nothing to do with the story. And all you did was write a song contemplating the meaning of life at three in the morning and try your best to record it. And somehow uh, it was used for something much bigger than, than your ambition. And I still see him every now and then. He's this incredible kid, amazing musician, you know, and, and, I, I love moments like that. That's kind of why I play music. I used to, 
want to, um, I used to want to see perfection and that was like, that was a goal, right? You, you, I would make music in my bedroom with a four track and I would spend all day on it and try and get everything in tune and in time. And then I'd play it live and I hated it because strings would break, things would go out of tune. And somewhere along the the way, I learned to embrace the chaos where you, you realize the moment that is happening now has already passed and your string broke. So that's done. Let's move on. Let's, you know, how can, it became instead of how do you achieve perfection became how do you achieve connection and connecting with people is so much better than perfection because people aren't, aren't perfect. None of us are perfect. So I can't relate to perfection, but I can connect with flaws. I can connect with things that go wrong. I feel like the mantle of Christian music is an incredible um, opportunity to explore the 21st century mindset of what it means to be a believer. And I feel like the fact that we want to delineate between Jay-Z and Bob Dylan and Bob Marley and Johnny Cash and whoever, and then put in a different pile something else um, that has some sort of religious belief is very curious. And I feel like it reveals a lot about the way American minds view their faith. My hope is that we could be a church that would be reaching out beyond ourselves. Um, Certainly, I, I understand the purpose of worship and corporate worship. And I love so many songs that bring people together in in the obvious form of adoring Christ and at, at church, all of these things. The difference is, is that when we have that delineation between our minds, between the sacred and secular, we effectively are drawing a line between our community. And that has a dramatic implication on the way that we treat people. Christ came so that um, none would perish, but that all would find salvation. And if that is his hope, then in the words of von Balthasar, dare we hope that all men might be saved. Dare we hope, you know, dare we be on the side of Christ in this, rooting for these people, loving these people, um, reaching out to these people. I feel like the delineation in our mind, it seems like a subtle difference, but it, it is a dramatic, dramatic thing. And I, I do it all the time. We all have these um, unknowing prejudices where we prejudge something. But the more I travel around the world, um, the more I realize that just the love that, that God has for what he has made. Um, we were just in Bangladesh, and you could not find a more different culture than you know southern california but you see it in the eyes of the kids the adults and you realize i've recognized that before that is the spark of the maker that is the image of god right there i've seen that before our purpose and calling as a band is to attempt to speak to both sides of that and to acknowledge that 
you know, whether we're playing music in a church or a bar or at a bar mitzvah or coffee shop or wherever, we are all hurting people in need of the self-sacrificial love of our maker. To learn more about Switchfoot's new album, Native Tongue, go to switchfoot.com. Next time on the Jesus Calling Podcast, we speak with beloved teacher and writer, Margaret Feinberg. In her new book, Taste and See, Discovering God Among Butchers, Bakers, and Fresh Food Makers, Margaret shares a culinary exploration of scripture that profoundly changed the way she viewed gatherings around food forever. I went 410 feet down into a salt mine, fished in the Galilee, brought in an olive harvest in Croatia, graduated with a certificate in Steakology 101 from a Texas butcher who calls himself the meat apostle. And I stand in awe of the richness and the depth of God's word and what comes alive when we begin to study these foods on a granular level. Do you love hearing great stories of faith each week via the Jesus Calling podcast? We want to hear from you. If you haven't already subscribed to the Jesus Calling podcast, visit the Jesus Calling page at iTunes.com and hit the subscribe button. While you're there, we'd love for you to leave us a review and tell us how you feel about the show and what future guests you'd love to see. Your reviews and subscription help us share these stories of faith to more people who need the hope and encouragement of Jesus Calling. If you have your own story to share, we'd love to hear from you. Visit JesusCalling.com to share your story today.